0: Hello everyone, welcome back to our podcast. Another podcast, we're going to dip into Proverbs again. Uh, We had such fun last week uh, in our episode that we are going to stick with Proverbs for a little while. And today's Proverbs concern fools. And so we're going to have some fun talking about fools. My name is Cameron and speaking to you from Tasmania, where I'm not in lockdown. We began this podcast in lockdown, all of us, and we're now in episode six. And... um, there's a, there's a disquieting sense of deja vu about about circumstances in Australia at the moment. But wherever you are, we hope that you are safe and well and uh, definitely not foolish.
1: Yeah, g'day. Uh, Ken here, also uh, safely in Tasmania and I'm going to pick my daughter up uh, who's managed to make it back home.
2: Mm. Uh, and I'm Luke. Foolishly, I went to Sydney last week, so I'm in lockdown. Oh, uh-huh, Luke.
3: <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I'm Lachlan. I'm not locked down, but I am only one council zone away from those who are. So, um, you know, we're thinking of you all out there.
0: Now, I don't want to cast aspersions on anyone, especially people I haven't met. So, I, I don't know the people involved in this story, but um, my mum pointed out to me a news article this week that may be relevant although exactly what the circumstances are around this story I, I'm not exactly sure. Now Locke you may have heard this because it was in a it was in a press conference talked about in a press conference in New South Wales and Luke you might have but Ken I don't think are you aware of the of the um, startled nudist sunbathers who got lost in uh, <laughs> I... the Royal National Park?
1: <laughs> I, I, I saw the headline in the newspaper today. Read the um, the first paragraph and didn't pursue it further. But yes, so we're in that sense. <laughs>
0: yeah, so it's a remarkable story.
3: I think all of us watch all of us watching the video of the press conference uh, learnt some very useful sign language vocabulary.
2: Yes, if I ever need to explain to a deaf person that I was startled by a deer, I know exactly. what uh, signs to use
0: yeah um it was remarkable the thing that i found most remarkable is that someone got lost near a beach because in my mind you just walk downhill and you find the ocean It, it seems to me a pretty hard thing to get lost near a beach it seems also remarkable that the cause of getting lost would be being startled by a deer and i'm not in the habit of of walking nude on beaches either. So the whole story I find very difficult to access. <laughs> uh,
1: maybe being startled by a deer is a euphemism, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Uh,
0: maybe, but it's certainly the person didn't get a very... The people involved didn't get a very positive um, account of them given at the press conference, did they, Locke? They- I I
2: believe the phrase that the police commissioner used was, it's very hard to legislate
0: against idiots.
2: <laughs> right. Or something to that effect.
0: Okay. Well, that could almost have come out of Proverbs. Uh, the other thing I wanted to, to read before we begin this episode is um, an excerpt of one of my favourite plays. Uh, when I was in high school, I performed in The Importance of Being Earnest, and I was the character Ernest in the play. And it's a wonderful story. Anyone who would like a very amusing evening can can watch one of the f- multiple film versions that are around the place and available. Uh, but in it, there's there's a, a person called Ernest and he is uh, in love with Algernon's cousin, Gwendolyn. And this dialogue happens. They're complaining about Gwendolyn's mother, who's a bit of a dragon. Um, and Ernest says, oh, you don't think there's any chance of Gwendolyn becoming like her mother in about 150 years, do you, Algie? And um, Algernon says, all women become like their mothers. That is their tragedy. No man does. That's his. And and Ernest says, uh, is is that clever? It's perfectly phrased, says Algie, and quite as true as any observation in civilised life should be. And then Ernest says, I'm sick to death of cleverness. Everybody is clever nowadays. You can't go anywhere without meeting clever people. The thing has become an absolute public nuisance. I wish to goodness we had a few fools left. And Algernon says, oh, we have. And Anna says, uh, oh, I should extremely like to meet them. What do they talk about? The fools are about the clever people, of course.
1: <laughs> that is very good. Yeah. It, 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 brings to mind, it brings to mind the, um, uh, the Pilgrim's Regress. Um, and uh, as the character regresses um, through the story, one of the groups of people he comes across is, in fact, the Clevers. Um, Yeah. And, Cam, you can uh, give our listeners more detail about the nature of the Clevers.
0: First of all, anyone who's following along on their bingo card can now cross off today's C.S. Lewis reference. Thank you. um, Because Pilgrim's (laughs) Regress is written by C.S. Lewis and it's about someone who grows up in the church and leaves it as opposed to Pilgrim's Progress. And the Clevers are very sophisticated people. They can't tolerate plain questions or plain answers. Uh, and uh, they they must pretend to enjoy many things which they actually don't like or see value in. And they admire many people in when they're in conversation with other people that privately they, they quite detest. But it's necessary to do this, to be one of the Clevers. So um, that may turn up in our Proverbs as well. I thought we'd, we'd turn to Proverbs 26. And I'd like to start at verse 3, and we'll read each Proverb one at a time. And we're going to get through uh, 9 Proverbs, 10 Proverbs. Um, and we'll see what sort of discussion we get out of this. So I'm going to start with the first one, Proverbs 26, verse 3. A whip for the horse, a halter for the donkey, and a rod for the back of fools.
3: Hmm. <laughs> Cam, are you wanting to read more on them, or are we wanting to discuss them one by one?
0: Um, I was thinking discussing them one by one. There is a progression, and that it reaches a definitive climax, which is going to provide some useful discussion. But we don't have to take them one at a time. We could take them several at a time. Uh, I'll read the next two because they're wonderful. Verse four says, "Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you will be like him yourself." And the next one says, "Answer a fool." according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes.
3: Mm-hmm. This is one of the tactics that, that sometimes you can use to guarantee that you're always right. Just make sure that you say it both ways.
1: Well... Or not.
0: Well, the trouble is, like you're, the trouble is like, that you are also always wrong. Ah, that's the trouble.
2: And also, Lachlan, you assume by your use of the word both that there are only two options here because only two outcomes were presented. But that does not mean that there aren't more options.
3: All right, all right. I accept I accept that I have become the foolish person. Well, um, let, yeah. Let's
1: just take this, though, <laughs> at, at face value. Um, do not answer a fool according to his folly or you will be like him yourself. Um, if, if you work on the basis of the assumptions and the, uh, uh, the, the framework for thinking, uh, that is foolishness, um, and you um, uh, construct your worldview around that uh, and have discussions uh, around that then uh, or using that framework uh, then you're in the world of the fool uh, and you're a fool yourself um, that's the sort of thing that's being said there isn't it?
0: Well it's the sort of thing that's being said in verse four yeah but it's not the sort of thing that's being said in verse five.
1: no. Um, so, isn't it interesting how, you, and then in verse 5, instead, what I, what I see in verse 5 is, um, well, answer a fool giving his folly the credit it deserves, um, uh, otherwise he'll uh, think that he's in fact wise. So, it, it's, it, it's really saying the same thing. It's, it's saying don't operate within that realm. Um, mm.
3: They render very nicely in the message. Uh, verse four and five, don't respond to the stupidity of a fool. You'll only look foolish yourself. Answer a fool in simple terms so he doesn't get a swelled head.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but I think, think, Ken, that they're not saying the same thing, at least in the NIV, because it uses the exact phrase. So Mm. in four, it says, do not answer a fool according to his folly. And in verse five, it says, answer a fool according to his folly. Yeah,
1: yeah. But it's but but according to his the, the according to his folly is dealt, is given two different meanings. So exactly the same phrase is used, uh, but it's a lovely little play on words and the ambiguity that's inherent in the phrase.
0: I'm not convinced. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, go on. Will you tell me what you think? <laughs> I
3: think I think Ken, you need to answer this fool in, in more simple terms. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think I think I think the proverb the the I think that the writer is attempting something here quite sophisticated. What the proverb he is trying to say is there is no way to deal with a fool and win. Mm,
1: mm, mm. Look, look I mean I can see that too and don't you discover that uh when you are talking to people who come uh with uh completely different assumptions to you? and um, a completely different frame of reference for uh, ascertaining truth. Uh, you, you find that you'll be saying exactly the same words, and you'll appear to be agreeing, uh, and yet you know that what you're meaning and what they're meaning are entirely different. Um, or, or, or you'll have the, the, the opposite, and you'll be saying completely opposite things, and, uh, and, and in fact, uh, you realise that you've ended up meaning the same things. Or you just will be passing like ships in the night in a way that you say, I just can't have a conversation with this person. It doesn't work.
3: Yeah.
0: I, I'm reminded of uh, Manuel in Faulty Towers. <laughs> <laughs> poor, old, poor, old, poor old Basil Faulty just cannot ever win. And he's not the wisest person himself. But, you know, Basil Faulty's £100 doesn't want his wife to know because his wife doesn't approve of him betting on horses and he's 100 pounds and he's betted on horses and he's trying to get it very hard um, to Manuel to le- not to tell his wife and it's impossibly difficult to try and communicate this to him and then at the crucial moment 100 pounds has been found and he's trying to convince his wife that it's his and he's trying to get Manuel to confirm his story and Manuel repeats for the first time in the entire episode, word perfect, his denial that, <laughs> that Basil Fawlty had anything to do with the £100. Um.
1: <laughs>
2: yeah,
3: I mean, I'm reminded of the... I, I think it's told in jest. I think it's more or less a, a warning about the sorts of trick questions that, that uh, you know, cunning investigative journalists can try and throw at, at public figures you know, the, the question, um, you know, has has life been better for you since you stopped beating your wife? Or, uh, you know, you can't answer it because it, it's assuming or implying a certainty about a thing which is not true. And so if you say, well, you know, yes or no, either way is, is causing you to be completely um, <laughs> su- succumbed to the question. Um, yeah it's it's a bit like that sometimes this let, let's let's refrain from trying to identify the fools in our life that we think at least we have to deal with but it is actually reasonably common isn't it to encounter this sort of profound inability to communicate and you you find yourself at such at such loss i actually think sometimes that uh, some of the sorts of conversations that happen through the typed medium of of social media comment threads sometimes resemble this a whole lot it means a bunch of a bunch of people talking right past each other and, and actually it, what it first appears to be a conversation is not it's just a room full of people shouting
0: can I read to you uh, this I'm reading from an online comic strip where the author got a bit frustrated with comments on YouTube he said the internet has always had loud dumb people but I've never seen anything quite as bad as the people who comment on YouTube videos. And there's a cartoon depiction here of the moon landing. And below is a series of, of um, fictional, but, you know, parody YouTube comments. And the first one says, This is so obviously faked, it's unbelievable. Why are people so gullible? Morons. And then the next one says, um, I've definitely seen the space shuttle, you idiot. It definitely landed on the moon. Do some research. And the next comment says, <laughs> Um, If it was real, why is there gravity? Americans are all sheep. And the next comment says, If you don't think we went to the moon, why not tell Louis Armstrong to his face? (laughs) (laughs) And the the last comment says, It was a soundstage in Mars.
2: I'm just going to go ahead, Kevin. Cross off my XKCD bingo reference. Good, 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 good. That's, That's good. Yeah. No, <laughs> waiting for an Adrian Plus one, and then we're oh, getting real close.
0: I'll see what I can... Oh, yeah, I've got one. Oh,
3: I've got a <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> uh, well, while you're finding it, I had an interesting, I had an interesting anecdote to share about verse three where you started. It, it listed three things: a whip for the racehorse, a tiller for the sailboat, and a stick for the back of fools. And it's obviously trying to describe. um you know the the there's a pattern of three things which have sort of essential corollaries, essential elements that partner up with them, and it's implying, of course, that that a stick or a rod for the back of fools, clearly to hit them, to strike them, or whip them, is as essential, as fundamental to living as as a tiller for the sailboat, and I'm reminded of a, a piece of Australian culture that's actually way before my time. But I grew up listening to recordings of the radio drama, Yes What? And Yes What? is about um, a rural school and the teacher is absolutely incapable of, of delivering any sort of learning experience to his classroom. And there is one student in the class who is, tends to be a little slower on the uptake than, than the others. And at one point, the teacher who has just, admi- remember, this radio drama is from the 1930s. So the teacher has just administered the stick to two of the other students. And then the, this poor slow kid asks basically the same question again. And he swiftly gets given the stick. And the, but the, the reason I bring it up is the, the comment the teacher makes in the radio drama. He says, I don't know whether you're naturally dull or just pulling my leg, but the stick will do you good in either case. <laughs> and <laughs> it's it's a remarkable window it it is a parody but it's a remarkable window into what feels very distasteful to us this idea that you sh- that someone might deserve the stick just because of being well let's say learning difficulty or being foolish uh, but that's very very resonant with the idea that I'm I'm seeing here look, in Proverbs look, you, 26
2: you use the word deserve but I think it's important to point out that in that you know, exaggerated example, and also in the proverb, there's no actual, um, there's no intimation that the fool deserves the stick, that, that they're morally yeah. inferior for being a fool, only that they need it to, be, uh. to, to do the
1: right thing. Mm. Uh. In, the sa- in the same way, uh, and uh, I think what it's saying is you need to con- a means of directing the horse you need a means of directing the yacht, uh, and you need a means of ensuring the fool um, stays Doesn't within certain foolish. limits. But w-
0: yeah. surely, one of the one of the points he's making is that wise people can be directed without r- recourse to the stick.
2: That is definitely the implication. And
0: and so mm. and so, uh, one of the things that makes this person foolish is they have to be forcibly coerced into things that are good for them. Like you can't their, their, their inability.
2: With them to make good decisions. Yeah. It's mm. it's
0: interesting, before I get on to the Adrian Plus reference, which is one of my favourites, but um, it's interesting that this, uh, the idea that people always used to believe the earth was flat is, is a fiction. Uh, the Greeks not only knew it was round, they'd measured about how round it was to within 20%. That was 2,000 years ago. But the idea that everyone did once believe it was flat uh, was circulated widely in the 1800s. And there were notable occasions where where su- prominent scientists would, would come to argue with with these emergent flat earthers and discover, to their great frustration, that it was actually quite hard to argue with them. And uh, it was very hard to argue and win.
2: Hmm.
0: You know, there's, there's all sorts of pseudoscience you can appeal to, like Lachlan Clinton Jackson's dark theory. Yeah. Ken, did you know that there's no such thing as as light. We've oh, always been taught we've always been taught that the darkness is the absence of light, but it's the other way around. Light is actually the absence of darkness. Ah.
2: Oh, I've not heard this in so long. And then
0: <laughs> and then a light globe or the sun or anything that we perceive as a source of light is really a darkness sucking device. Right. And mm-hmm. if you look at a very old fluoro tube, it's a bit duller and it's it's faint particularly on each end. If you look at a fluoro tube, you can see it's got a dark patch on each end because that's where all the darkness is stored. <laughs> and and darkness when it gets it's more dense than water, so in the ocean the darkness all sinks to the bottom, which is why the bottom of the ocean is dark.
1: Look, I mean that that, that seems that seems really uh, you know bizarre. Uh, let's let's just let's just name that as it is. But but what is what is being dealt with there is in fact a legitimate concern for the potential ambiguity. Um, of data, uh, and one of the, and, and it depends, and, and, it depends on interpretation of the data. So one of the other areas of ambiguity that perhaps is a little less certain, uh, than, than the darkness and the light theory, uh, is, uh, lift. How an aerop- <laughs> you, you are, you can cross this off your bingo now. Um, uh, there's another reference to airplanes. <laughs> <reference>. uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and it does in fact lift Push the aeroplane up, or does the pressure difference suck the aeroplane up into the air? And and that's a real that that's a real legitimate um, difference of view. Yeah. Uh, you know the the, the the fact is the aeroplane flies because of the pressure differential. Um, at least in very simple terms. This is how pilots talk about it. I'm not sure that fluid dynamicists would talk about it in the same way. Um, uh, but because of the pressure differential on the top and the bottom of the wing. So is it pushed up or is it sucked up? Um, uh, so it depends how you want to interpret that or... data. Uh, yeah. Or is the earth pushed down? Quite so. Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> if if there are any listeners who are wondering if that is a, 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 an authentic illustration to bring up here i can testify that it really is i'm not a pilot but i have discussed with pilots and i understand that pilots do indeed spend considerable time debating this exact issue in fact
2: i'm fairly sure that it was after one of these podcast reportings we spent about about, at least an hour trying (laughs) to work out how we thought it worked precisely there were references to aircraft design manuals and physics textbooks and we didn't come to a we nobody was convinced away from their starting position at the end. Mm.
0: On a more serious note, in one of my aviation electives, I do have a student who tried to convince me quite adamantly that surely this, they always begin with surely. Well, That's the current phrase at the moment, is my students begin every sentence with the word surely. And when I pressed them the other day, I said, what do you mean surely we can have a class party? They said, well, what we mean is we hope we can have a class party. And I said, hoping something is the opposite of being sure about it, um, that's that's not surely they they don't use the word probably. But he said to me in aviation theory class the other day, surely, surely we don't need to learn all this theory. I said, well, surely we do if you want a license. Oh no, no, I know some pilots. I know some pilots. They wouldn't know any of this. Well, <laughs> it's it, it's interesting, isn't it? That argument
1: they wouldn't uh, is yeah. such a common argument. I, I mean, indeed, uh, we're well, without uh, going on too much of a tangent i was reading an article recently about um uh, the age of uh the earth and the fossil record and the like and and the argument was basically well god would not do this uh god would not use this mechanism uh and yet uh again allowing for the indeterminacy of data there is a very uh plausible um, view that says that is precisely what God did.
0: <laughs> well, there's also uh, a, a, a difficult uh, historical precedent for that, can because people, many people, said things in in Galileo's time. Sh- surely God wouldn't allow craters on the moon because craters are defects yeah. and sin is restricted to this earth. Surely we don't even need to look at your telescope. So one of, one of the um, well, I think one of the things that this is saying, and that this contrast between four and five. I think that there's something, a truth in both of them and an even bigger truth in the two next to each other. It's just very difficult dealing with a fool. Here's the Adrian Place reference. Adrian Place is going out to an Indian restaurant and Leonard Thin, who's, who's not the sharpest person um, about, uh, is, is being invited to go out to an Indian restaurant and Adrian's ringing out to, to find out what he wants so that he can order in advance. And it's a telephone conversation. Here's the transcript. Hello, Leonard. Is that you? Yes. Yes, it's me. Uh, I want to talk to you about tonight. All right, then. You haven't forgotten, have you? Oh, good. Well, it's it's not good if you've forgotten. So have you? I don't know. You don't know what? And then Thin says, I don't know if I've forgotten because I can't remember what it is. I'm supposed to... (laughs) (laughs) I'm supposed to have not forgotten. And then Adrian says, you haven't forgotten what's happening tonight. Finn, what is happening tonight? <laughs> Leonard, Leonard, you know what's happening tonight. I don't know what's happening, I've forgotten. Oh, we're going out for an Indian. Oh, I'm sorry, George, I can't. I've, I'm already going out for an Indian with Adrian and Anne and the others. This is Adrian <laughs> speaking, you blithering idiot. Oh, sorry, I thought you were George. But but hold on a minute, if you're Adrian, you know what we're doing tonight. <laughs> well, of course I know, don't I? I was just checking that... Uh, never mind. Listen, Leonard, I wanted you to tell me what you'd like to eat tonight. A oh, personally, I'd be quite happy with an Indian meal. Um, Adrian, pausing to grind the tip of a pencil into the brickwork under the windowsill. Leonard, Leonard, tell me which main dish you would like to eat at the Indian restaurant tonight, or I shall come around there and puree you in your own blender. Thin. Uh, a sweet and sour pork would be fine. That's Chinese. No, it's not. It's English. I said, no, no, sweet and sour pork is a Chinese <laughs> dish. Which which Indian dish would you like? Thin. Uh, a tandoori, then? Me. Uh, uh, Adrian, please. Uh, tandoori is a generic term. Oh, that's fine. I like it generic. Can I have pilau <laughs> rice with it and lots of poppadums? To start, no, Leonard. Leonard, tandoori is a style of cooking. I'll put you down for a chicken tikka, shall I, Leonard? Oh yes, yes. If you think I'd like that better than a than a geriatric turn, was that it? I don't think I fancy that much. Now that I think about it. it, sounds vile. But I suppose if you're very poor in India and you live by the sea, you have to. Yes, we'll we'll see you at eight o'clock tonight at the restaurant, Leonard. You know which one we're going to. Um, and then they end the phone call and then when they get to the restaurant um, Adrian Plass finds that he has taken the wrong list he's written all this stuff down to order when they walk into the restaurant and he's taken the wrong list he hands a list to the waiter and the list is of a, a list of weekend jobs that he has to do and um, <laughs> no. Thin, Thin nearly got us thrown out at this point he said that it didn't matter me bringing the wrong list because we could probably all remember what we'd ordered take me for instance he said Turning to speak to the waiter, I'm pretty sure I can remember what I was having. The waiter poised his pen above the order pad respectfully. Yes, said then, assuming a ridiculously unconvincing man of the world air. Adrian tells me that one of your specialties is an elderly seagull cooked in the tandoori style. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what though,
3: can? Cam? That is such a good. Uh, by the way, I think that for our listeners, we've pretty much hit the jackpot tonight with all of the references that accumulated over over seasons. But mm. that conversation in that Adrian Plass book is so humorous to read and to hear. Yeah. But when you stop to think about it, both participant in that conversation thought the other one was utterly obtuse.
0: Yes, and the irony is the irony mm. is that Adrian Plass is frustrated with Leonard. And he turns up and passes a list of his weekend jobs mm. to the waiter. And um, so there is a lot of irony. irony well, in
3: it, it makes me, the, the passing, the wrong, passing the wrong list, Cam, uh, makes me think, look what happens in Proverbs 26 if we go on just a couple more verses. Here they are from the Let's message. Let's do it. Starting from verse 6. You're only asking for trouble when you send a message by a fool. A proverb quoted by fools is limp as a wet noodle. Putting a fool in a place of honour is like setting a mud brick on a marble column.
0: Oh, that's good. Yeah. <laughs>
3: the, the sending, the sending you're asking for trouble when you send a message by a fool. That's right. Uh, I think poor old Adrian Plass is going to need to look a bit in the mirror.
0: I think he will. Well, uh, there's there's a, a, a series of, of comparisons of what it's like dealing with fools here. And... Um, Like a thorn bush in a drunkard's hand is the proverb in the mouth of a fool. It sort of
2: culminates in 11 in terms of vivid imagery.
0: Yeah. Okay, well, what's verse 11?
2: As a dog that returns to his vomit, so is a fool who repeats his folly.
1: Yes, so uh, (laughs) we hope that none of our listeners are uh, enjoying the podcast over their meal. (laughs) Uh, We've said (laughs) (laughs) what. Well, it's there in the Bible. It must be right, and it's okay, it's acceptable if it's there in the Bible.
0: Yeah, there's um, there's a bunch, interesting bunch of analogies, isn't it? So in, in the NIV, it's it's like cutting off one's feet or drinking violence, uh, like a lame man's legs that hang limp, like tying a stone in the sling, which is a sling is a device for launching a stone, so tying it in is... is Futility, like a thorn bush in a drunkard's hand, like an archer who wins at random, like a dog who returns to its vomit. Fools are not getting painted in a positive light. Mm. But I think, I think the subtlety of this passage, and um, the nuance in it, is really comes to a head. And we, I, I think that the the person who's written this is a trap. And if I, I'm perfectly honest, this is a trap that I fell into completely. And I'd be very interested if any of our listeners have as well i don't know about the rest of you here but when i read these passages about a fool i tend to imagine the fool as being another person it must be Cam. well that's why verse 12 which follows all these descriptions of foolishness verse 12 is is such a a, a searing or deep cutting punchline to this passage because mm. verse 12 says verse 12 says do you see a man who's wise in his own eyes there is more hope for a fool than for him. Yeah.
1: That is um, a very challenging comment, isn't it?
0: And particularly mm. following the previous verses because it's quite fun reading things about fools. Yeah. And it's like and imagining it's
2: like, them to be someone
0: else. It's like Ernest saying, you know, what, what do these fools talk about? Um, oh, about the clever people. Oh, what fools? And he's just been talking about the clever people for five minutes. Um,
1: and, and isn't it mm. interesting that... The standard by which we judge another a fool is the wisdom that we see in ourselves.
0: Um, Mm.
1: so we use the wisdom of our own eyes, what we see as being, what we see as being wise to judge another a fool. Mm. And by doing Mm. so, we immediately, uh, take on the burden of having less hope than the fool themselves. And I wonder a little if that might be a bit of what Jesus was saying when he spoke about judging. Don't judge because by the standard with which you judge, you will be judged. Hmm. Um, so, so Cam, I've just
2: just had an idea then based on that. Which is very much, actually, when you think about it, in keeping with the idea of the book of Proverbs as instruction to someone. So once you have verse 12 firmly fixed in your mind as the context for a fool, then we can go back and we can have a look at the previous verses, imagining ourselves to be the fool. And what is the verse saying to us? What is the advice in the proverb for us as as a fool? Right? So, I, I've just been doing this a little bit. If, if you go to verse three, the advice is don't be someone who needs to be forced to do something that's good for you. Do it, do it without having to be forced to do it. You know? Uh, if you look at verse six, what is the advice? The advice is, is that when you are given a task to convey a message to, to do so diligently and effectively mm. you know uh the advice in verse 7 oh this is very interesting um is uh, don't misuse parables
0: i find this really interesting yeah. because in verse 7 <clears throat> in verse 7 uh the proverb is a true proverb but in the mouth of a mm. fool in the mouth of a fool it's like a leg that hangs limp that's not useful mm. which which is very challenging um and you imagine you think in this in this case of the yeah, really typical example. The Pharisees standing at the foot of the cross, saying, "He saved others; himself, he could not save." Uh, and the Pharisees are so good at distilling the most that—that dis- that is the most uh, clearest, clearly distilled statement of the gospel in the Bible. Mm. And the people who said it were right and completely wrong. I feel very worried when we focus so much on having the truth. Although truth is important, but but being in relationship to Christ and and having him in our lives, there's there's so much more to following Christ than just knowing the truth, because the Pharisees were a hundred percent correct. Uh Christ saved others, himself he could not save.
3: Yeah. Now if you'll if you'll entertain just a brief reference this week to the Sabbath School lesson, it talks about restlessness and the sort of restlessness and rebellion that comes from uh, sinful desires, it spends a lot of time talking about the Israelites after the Exodus, wandering in the desert, and the number of key points where they had the opportunity to, to move forward in their story, but were didn't accept it, were, were restless, and ended up uh, wandering in the wilderness for so long. The reason I bring it up is because it's one of those stories in the Bible where it is so easy for us to contrast it with ourselves oh, those Israelites, weren't they foolish? Weren't they restless? Weren't they sinful? I'm so glad, God, that I'm not like them. And then, and then suddenly find a moment in your life or in contemplation and realize, oh, hang on a minute. I don't think that that contrast that I just made was as useful to me as if I've slowed down to identify with for a moment. And that's kind of what's happening here in Proverbs 26 in a more general sense, isn't it? The the idea that we were lulled so thoroughly into this almost mockery of fools yeah. as another. And yeah. not only another person, but another category of person. You know, you guys aren't fools. We, we're here. We're a bunch of, of clever yeah. people. We're the clevers, perhaps. Yeah. yeah. Um. So it's not just the other. It's It's a completely different category of person. And then suddenly... Uh, The verse 12 that you drew our attention to, Cam, is a call to reflect on a much more productive, although more difficult, reflection.
0: Well, one of the features we've pulled out, Locke, is that fools believe themselves to be in the right, like Leonard Thin. So if we are like the Israelites in the desert, the parts of us that most resemble them are possibly things we're proud of, or comfortable with, or sure of. That, that is one of the things that makes it so foolish. Hmm.
1: It's a very difficult uh, tension to live with uh, because on the one hand, um, we have to uh, doubt our beliefs is essentially what, you, what, what I'm hearing uh, you say. And yet we also have to be able to doubt our doubts and to believe our beliefs um, mm. and, and, and finding the right tension there. That, that, there's a real dialectic um,
0: tension. Surely, well, Ken, we one, one of the lessons of the Bible and of God's interaction with humans is that it is not, in fact, our responsibility solely and in and of ourselves to find that right balance. Mm-hmm. Um, a mind cannot tell if it is deceived. Like, like um, people, It is possible for people to be mad. And the people who are mad have very good reasons for thinking what they think.
1: Which brings us to the G.K. Chesterton quote.
0: <laughs> yeah. We're on. Well, the G.K. Chesterton quote was only that uh, we say that someone who's mad has lost their reason, but that's not true. They have reasons for everything that they believe. What they've lost mm. is they've lost their imagination. They can't mm. imagine that they're a small fish in a big world and that they might be wrong. And and I think that, yes. I think that this requires an external observer. We need to say to God, you... You have the authentic perspective. You can see which beliefs need to be doubted and which doubts need to be believed, and which beliefs need to be believed and which doubts need to be doubted, and all the rest of it. Uh, well, this is something on which we need input.
2: I, I actually, well, I might, I might dispute that a bit, Cam, because the implication there is that we we need that input so that we can find the right things to believe. But if I understand. The conversation leading up to that assertion it's actually that the value is in considering that what considering what you hold to be true might be wrong. The mm. value is in act- is, is is in doing yeah. that it's not doing that so you can find a, tr- a truth
0: somewhere else in the in the context of this parable Luke it's not just the things we believe it's the people we are so it's considering not just that we might believe things which are untrue. But that we are susceptible to certain untruths; that we, yeah, that we are, which is exactly my
2: point. The value is in understanding that, not necessarily in finding out a truth. It's understanding that you don't hold all the truth. And I think, I think, um, what, what, the, 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 what, what you just said then, with with the quote that um, I don't even know if it was a quote. A mind cannot know if it's deceived, right? But if, if I may paraphrase G.K. Chesterton a little, or, or at least take, take his idea or, or language somewhat, a mind can have the imagination to consider that it might be being deceived. Mm. And I think that's really what the parable is, is telling us. It's saying, consider that you might be a fool.
1: Yeah. What should you do? And that is borne out by the references that we made earlier to verses 4 and 5 of 26. Do not answer a fool according to his folly. Uh, so it's that, again, coming back to that framework and that unwillingness to accept uh, that there might be some error. Um, but I want to look at seeing whether or not we might reach some conclusion of this discussion by picking oh. up, uh, b- b- before... before I'd, well, I'm going to I'm going to take the lead on this end. So I've yeah. seen lots of enthusiasm for more for more comments. So I'm going to hold fire before we take it before taking us to the to the conclusion. So Luke and Cam, <laughs> well, you go ahead, Cam.
0: I'm just finding the quote. I began this quote uh, this podcast with a quote from a play that I was in. Now, there's a play, Luke and Locke, that you were in, that Shakespeare's King Lear. Where it deals two, a lot with fools. It deals a lot with the wisest person podcast. in the whole play <clears> is <throat> the fool. And, and, and King Lear, who believed himself to be so obviously in the right and sensible in his course of action in the first act, is utterly undone by the end of the play. And Gloucester too, who was certain about he knew which of his sons was good and which was bad, he's undone. And it, we get to the end of the play where one of Gloucester's sons, Luke, has plucked out his eyes and... And King Lear's daughters have kicked him out of the house and he's now wandering vagabond and he's lost his mind. And the blind Gloucester meets the the mad King Lear. And King Lear says to him, "Yet he says to Gloucester, y- you see how this world goes. And Gloucester says, I see it feelingly. And King Lear says, what? art mad? A man may see how this world goes with no eyes. Look with thine ears. And there's another quote later on, but actually... It's too long to read, but in in the act, it emerges that the mad king and the blind Gloucester understand how the world works a thousand times better in mm. their mad and blind state than they did when they they had sound mind and seeing eyes, or at least when they thought they had seeing eyes and mm. a sound
1: mind. Mm. Mm.
2: So, yeah. I I would th- this this adds to that as well, Cam. In that, I would say that the common perception in our society today of of the the masterful person the, the the role model the ideal sort of individual adult to be um is someone with 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 very few if any doubts is somebody who knows more than other people who has more but well confidence. not necessarily even knows more than other people who has more confidence we really admire somebody who's got a lot of confidence um and this proverb suggests that uh we may be admiring that a bit more than it deserves.
3: If I could throw in just one more great literary reference, Ken, before you wrap it up. It It reminds me of the, no, the Peanuts cartoon, where Snoopy writes a book on theology. And when asked what the title is going to be, he says, it's going to be called, Has It Ever Occurred to You That You Might Be Wrong?
1: (laughs) Well, I think that's just delightful. There were two things that have arisen in our conversation to date, and one is that we should go back and have a look at some of the Proverbs we were looking at. And I don't think it was intended to go back as far as I'm going to, Uh, but I think going back further than we have is going to be fruitful. And the second thing that was said was um, we need some external input. Uh, And I want you to remember some of the phrases that we've spoken about in chapter 26 and verse 3 about the need for direction uh, and about in verse 12 about the man who is wise in his own eyes and it's a very well-known passage um, but I think it pays further contemplation in conclusion and it's Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5 which says and following which says simply this trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight do not be wise in your own eyes fear the lord and shun evil see the positive on the other side of the foolishness and and go back to chapter 1 and verse 7 that we looked at the other day and i'm going to go in reverse fools despise wisdom and discipline but the fear of the Lord is the
0: beginning of knowledge. Hmm. Great place to leave our discussion. Uh, we hope that you, our listener, have also enjoyed our discussion. Uh, I certainly think that uh, community is one of the corrective mechanisms God's supplied to us, um, having to rub shoulders with people with different views. And um, perhaps the one defect of this podcast is that we, we seem to agree too readily on things. <laughs> and if you disagree with us, uh, we'd be anxious to hear from you. So you can email us at uh, SabbathSchoolFromHome@gmail.com, and please share this podcast with anyone who you feel would benefit from it and join us again next week.